What's going on, JCC Nation, JCC fam, JCC community? I hope you have been tracking with me as we've been looking at this new series called The Rebuild. It's based on the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And what we're looking at is that you should not sit on the ruins. You need to rise up. You should not sit on the ruins. You need to get up. You need to show up and you need to dress up. You should not sit on what's ruined because God has not called you to be in ruins. God has called you to be built up. God has called you to grow. And part of your growth is rebuilding or refixing, reestablishing what has been messed up. Who are you waiting for today? I've come to let you know that you are waiting on you because it will not be rebuilt unless you take up the responsibility and the mantle to rebuild it. I hope you're listening to me and getting me clear that the areas of our lives that do not look good, the areas of our lives that seem to be destroyed can only be fixed up if we choose to rebuild. So that is what I've been trying to communicate in this particular series. And we have looked at many different concepts. In particular, last week I was blessed, and I hope you were blessed, by the idea that my weaknesses do not diminish God's ability to operate in my life. In fact, my weaknesses are an access card that allow God to operate and to work out an exodus in my life and in your life. So do not backtrack when you're experiencing weaknesses. In fact, you need to step up. And I would say that you are on track with God. Because God wants people that recognize who they are. God wants people that understand that without him, I am nothing. That know that all things with God are possible. You can catch that sermon uh, on, on YouTube. It's, it's right there. And, and, and you can be blessed on that. Today, I want us to move from chapter 1 of Ezra. And we're going to settle in chapter 3. Chapter 1 gives us the call of God for the returnees or the exiles, I call them, to go back home. They're to go back to a prime location. Chapter two helps us to see everybody who went back. Now in chapter three, we are finally back in Jerusalem. We are finally back in that prime location. And I want to pick up reading the text uh, this morning from Ezra chapter three and Beginning in verse number one, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. The Bible says, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, that's it, they had returned to the prime location. Notice what happens next. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. That's what I dreamed for the Carter Central Church, that we may be one man. We may be united as one, tracking as one, thinking as one. And I'm, I'm glad here that the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, Then arose Jeshua the son of Josadak with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel with his kinsmen. Again, leaders should rise up first. You feel me? 
leaders always should rise up first. And if you're in a position of leadership, you got to rise up. Now notice what they rose to do. Notice what they did. And they built the altar of the God of Israel. They built the altar of the God of Israel to do what? To offer burnt offering on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3 adds, they set the altar in its place. In its place. For fear was on them because of the people of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. Verse 4 says, and they kept the feast of booths. Uh, it's better to read it, the feast of shelters. And they kept the feast of shelters as it is written, as it is written. And they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. Verse 5 continues. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. Verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But, but, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. But, but. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was not laid. This text ends on a but. The word but contrasts what has been said before to what is now being said. I can say something like, I love food, but I'm not hungry. Though I love food, but at this moment, I'm not ready to eat the food. In this text, but ends the text, and we are made to see that the people returned and they rebuilt the altar, but the temple was not yet laid. But the temple was not yet laid. Here is the friction. Here is the tension in this text. Uh, we need to put these two things together. There, there's an altar that has been built. But the temple has not yet been laid. Now, what is happening in this text that the author is trying to help us to see? The author is trying to help us to see that before a temple is laid, there is an altar that is in place. The author is trying to help us to see that there must be a primacy and a primary or a priority to the altar before the temple. The people cannot wait for worship. To start, they cannot wait for worship to start and depend it on a building. But before a building is put in place, they will begin their worship first. So they put an altar in place first. It tells me that an altar is important. It tells me that before you begin to build, you must put an altar in place. Before you attempt any great project for God. Or for yourself. The question is, has an altar been placed? Has an altar been rebuilt? Have you put what is primary first? Is what is important put 
in proper alignment. Because I believe that some of us are out of alignment with God because we have not yet built the altar. We have not yet put in place a place of fellowship, a place of worship. It tells me that an altar is important, is important. But why? Why should we build an altar before laying down the foundation of a temple? Allow me for the time that we have to contemplate and to consider the idea rebuilding your altar. Rebuilding your altar. Let us pray. Mighty God, thank you for this moment. May your name be honored. May your name be glorified. In the awesome and wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. An altar dominates this passage. The theme of the altar is quite clear and prevalent in this particular passage. You see, an altar represents a place of sacrifice. The Hebrew concept behind the word altar means to sacrifice. So it means that an altar is a place where somebody goes to offer something. Anything, any place that you are willing to sacrifice on, that is your altar. For some of us, our altars is our job because we sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our families. We sacrifice everything that's dear to us simply to meet the KPI, simply to please the boss, simply to get a check. For some of us, a person is our altar. Our life revolves around a person. It's about what they want. It's about what they need. It's about what is the next gift I'm going to get. It's about how I'm going to please this particular person. And for some of us, our altar is entertainment. It's Xbox. It's PlayStation. It's games. It's movies. It's Netflix. We spend our time thinking and plotting about the next movie. Uh, thinking about when am I going to get home to watch this new movie. Thinking about how I'm going to spend my evening binge watching uh, the next latest best series. What you sacrifice on, what you're willing to sacrifice on is your altar is your altar, is the place that you are willing to give of yourself. You're willing to give to it. And here the exiles that have come back to the prime location, they built an altar, they, they established a place of sacrifice. And yes, you always must have a place of sacrifice. You cannot live life without sacrifice. We all sacrifice somewhere. 
And these brothers understand and they understood when they came back that we must build a place where we're going to sacrifice too. When anthropologists consider the concept of sacrifice at the altar, they frown at it. They throw mud at it because they consider God as a businessman who is interested in a transaction with his people. All God has to do, check this, is bring a worshiper has to come before him, present an animal sacrifice. And once the animal sacrifice has been given, God is going to be happy. And once God is happy, then God is going to download blessings. And so in, 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 in anthropologists and critical scholars, they scoff at the idea of sacrifice. They said God is out simply to gain and he's, he's interested in business and he's interested in a transaction. And some of us have a transactional experience with God. We, we think that we simply need to give back to God and we're going to give back from him. We need to give back a little bit of our time every week and we're going to get back from him. We need to give back our tenth every month and we're going to get back from him. And, and sometimes when things are going on in our lives and, and things go bad in our lives, we get mad at God. Because we are saying, God, I have been giving back to you. I have been praying to you. I have been going to church. I have been serving. I have been in the things of God. Why haven't you given back to me? Why haven't you promoted me? Why haven't you given me that uh, partner for life? Lord, why haven't you parted the Red Seas in my life? Because we consider our investment as God's, uh, as, as, as the key to make God open doors for us. But you see the issue of an altar. The issue of establishing a place of sacrifice. Was not for a transactional experience with God. It was a, a, it was a means to communicate. That we depend on God. We depend on God. We know that everything that we are depends on God. A Jewish Christian a Jewish believer understood the air that I breathe depends on God. A Jewish believer understood that my ability to get up every morning depends on God. A Jewish believer understood my ability to provide for my family depended on God. A Jewish believer understood that my ability to think, my ability to plan, my ability to grow my portfolio, my ability to exercise depended on God. And so they would bring a sacrifice to the altar to simply recognize God, 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 God. You are everything to me. I live, I move, and I have my absolute being because of your absolute power, because of your absolute care. Because of your absolute lookout for my life, I could have been destroyed. I could have been dead. I could have been gone. But God, you have allowed me to live another day. God, I depend on you. We sing the popular song. He got the whole world in his hands. He got the whole world in his hands. He got the whole wide world. In his hands, he got the whole world in his hands. That is a truth of the reality. God has the whole world 
in his hands. Everything depends on God. The currents of the ocean depend on God. The night and the day cycles depend on God. Yes, they do. The hot and dry seasons depend on God. Healing from COVID-19 depends on God. He's got everything in his hands. He's got you in his hands. Everything that revolves around you is in the hands of God. Paul said it well of Jesus. Watch this. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold it together. Jesus, brothers and sisters, holds everything together. Think about that for a moment. You see, scientists, they are always trying to figure out this important question. How does the neutron, how does elect the electron, how does the proton hold together? Their conclusion is there must be a strong force that holds everything together. But I'm here to let you know that Jesus is the strong force behind the atom. Jesus is the strong force behind this Wi-Fi connectivity and our ability to worship and fellowship together. Hallelujah, somebody. Jesus is a strong force that holds your body in place. Jesus is a strong force that holds you as you drive in your car and make it to your workplace. Jesus is a strong force that keeps your marriage intact. Jesus is a strong force that keeps away the burglars and the fraudulence and the, the, the thieves away from your resources and your property and your belongings. You thought it was the alarm clock that woke you up? No, no, no. It is because Jesus holds your life in his hands. It is because of Jesus holding everything in his hands. That is why you are able to exist. And so we should never get it twisted that we have everything under control. Yes, I know you go to the living room and sit down, turn on, uh, click on the remote control and it turns on and you're able to watch pictures and connect. We live in a world that we are able to manipulate buttons. We're able to push elevator buttons. We're able to turn on our ignitions. We're able to get on the internet. We're able to search. We're able to order. And somehow these things gives us the idea or the illusion of independence. But I'm here to let you know that you are as dependent on God as ever. There is a reason why the Spirit of God is, in, is, is talked of as a spirit, as a breath, as a ruach. We, it, is, it, it is for a reason that God introduces the formless Adam and brings him into life by breathing into him the breath of life. Because God wants us to know <laughs> you live, you move, and you have your being because of me. And this morning we need to recognize this fact. And the reason why the, 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 the Jews would establish an altar was to remind themselves, I depend on God. It's to remind themselves, I depend on God. And what they really wanted to do by going to the altar, watch this, was to ensure that they could 
they could fellowship with God. They were coming in a dependent state so that they could fellowship with God. So that they could connect with God. So that they could let God know, God, you are everything to me. And that is what happens when you worship God. That is what happens when you go to God in prayer. What you're doing is you're saying, me and God, we have a connection. We have a fellowship. We get to share with one another. We get to connect with one another. Jesus understood the importance of fellowship. That is why every day he got up and he made sure that he went to the altar. The Bible says before day, a great while before day, Jesus would rise up and he would go into a solitary place and pray. Jesus would go to his altar and would fellowship with his father. He would connect with him and, and present himself before God and say, God, here I am. But here's what I need you to know about fellowship with God. You see, fellowship with God happens in the context of the person. It happens in the context of the mind. It happens in the context of the heart. When God has really entered your mind, when God has really entered your space, what you normally do now is demonstrate that by going to the altar. Your fellowship and your connection with God must begin inside of you before it happens outside of you. Too many of us, we are seeking fellowship with God outside of us instead of creating fellowship inside of us. That is why we are picky and choosy of the altars we listen to. On the altars we sacrifice at. Because many of us, we want to sacrifice at the altars we like. We want to sacrifice at the altars of our favorite preachers. We want to sacrifice at the altars of our favorite ministries. We want to sacrifice at the altars of our favorite churches. We want to sacrifice at the altars of our favorite live streams. We look at other altars and we say, no, 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 it doesn't fit me. No, 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 it's not for me. But when you begin your fellowship in your mind, when you begin your fellowship in your heart, it does not matter what altar you go to. Because you know the altar doesn't create the fellowship. Rather, what the altar simply does is it demonstrates the fellowship. When a Jew was bringing an animal, it is because in his heart there was that conviction. I need to go and connect with my God. I need to go and relate to my God. It was something that had happened in his heart and in his mind. And therefore you're simply demonstrating that by going out and connecting with God. And relating with God. And being in the presence of God. If it hasn't started in your mind, if it hasn't started in your heart, then you are not ready for fellowship with God. It must begin in your mind. It must begin in your heart. But we must ask ourselves this important question. What is an altar today?
How do I find an altar? How do I go to an altar today? What is this thing anyway? In the Old Testament, we find interesting, interesting concepts about the altar. And I just want to review the terrain a, a little bit with you to help you connect with, with the concept I'm trying to, uh, uh, to see, to help you to see. Noah built an altar after the flood in Genesis 8 verse 20. Abraham built an altar when he entered a new place. Jacob built an altar when he met God. Jacob built an altar when he bought a piece of land. So I hope you can see the pattern. That an altar stood after a place or a person had encountered God in a particular fashion. So an altar was always an outward manifestation of an inward reality. So if you want to know what an altar is or where, how you can build an altar today, you must also have an inward experience and simply demonstrate it in an outward reality. That is this. You must know God at an at a, at, a, at a visceral level. And once you have known God at that visceral level, that inward level, then you can simply demonstrate that in terms of your prayer life every day. In terms of your study life every day. In terms of your giving every day. In terms of your service every day. So in other words, you can build an altar in any place. You can build an altar in any situation as long as you have connected with God and that that altar serves as a demonstration of what has happened inside of you today. And that is how you and I must be willing to fellowship with God. We must be willing to go to God inside, to invite God inside. That is why Jesus knocked at the door and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I'm going to come into him and I'm going to dine with him. I'm going to sup with him. I'm going to be with him. So God wants to enter your mind. He wants to fellowship in your heart. See, God wants to be in your, your in, inwardness. God wants to be in your thoughts. No, God wants to be talking to you as you are making those business connections. God wants to be talking to you as you're about to order your food for lunch. Uh, he wants to, to connect with you. He wants to be guiding and leading your life. And that is how you need to fellowship with God. Because if it hasn't happened inside, anything we do outside is a pretense. And there's too much pretending going on in, in faith. It's too much checking of the boxes going on in faith. We haven't really connected with God deep yet at that level that he can impact and, and challenge us and bring us to the place that we need to be. In this particular passage, I want to consider and help us to come to the place of understanding 
how should we really fellowship with God? How deeply should that go? How should that look like? How should that look like? I want to suggest to you that we should fellowship with God with regularity. When you look at verse number three of chapter three, we have these words that help us to understand the concept clearly. The text says, they set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. Right there. They would sacrifice on the altar morning and evening. That is regularity. In other words... When it comes to fellowship with God, it must be done with, with in the morning and in the evening. Now, you might think that I need to fellowship with God at 6 a.m. and then I need to fellowship with God again at 6 p.m., that is morning and evening. But in the context of the Bible, morning and evening always relate to the entirety of the 24 hours. So when they will bring burnt offerings regularly before God, what they were simply saying is, God, we want to be fellowshipping with you at 24-7. We want you a part of our experience all of the time. We want you to be with us every moment of the day. Lord, we want to cling to you. Lord, we want to be a part of you. Listen to me. God is not an opening act. God is not a closing act. God is the act. God is not the opening act. God is not the closing act. God is the act. God is tired of being a part of you in the morning and not being a part of you the rest of the day. God is tired of you only going to him when you need something from him. God is tired of you only praying when you're about to eat. God is tired of you fasting only when there's a problem. God is tired of you when you come to him at night and pray only at night. God is tired when he is simply slapped on to that business deal. God is tired of simply being slapped on to that sermon. God is simply tired of being slapped on to that project. God wants to be the opening act. God wants to be the middle act. God wants to be the closing act. God wants you to fellowship with him regularly. God wants you to fellowship with him all of the time. That is why Paul said, pray without ceasing. That is a fellowship with God all of the time. Keep your mind stayed on God. Keep your heart open to God. Keep God a part of your talks. Keep God a part of your runs. Keep God a part of your business transactions. Keep God a part of your ordering and shopping. Let him be a part of everything. And I'm glad that they would bring the burnt offerings morning and evening all of the time. There was never a time they allowed their worship, their fellowship to be spotty, to be sporadic. Like some of us, our worship is like Wi-Fi network. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. God is not interested in that. God wants you to go to the altar. God wants you to fellowship with him 
regularly. All of the time. Set your party each and every day. You know, there's a practicality to uh, a regularity or fellowship with God. There is practicality with regularity in fellowship with God. Here's what I need you to see. The food that you ate yesterday cannot sustain you for the day. Because we need to live our Christian experiences on a day-to-day basis. That is why you need to fellowship with God every day. Because what you did yesterday is not suitable to meet the demands of today. And what is suitable for today will not meet the demands of tomorrow. Unfortunately, many of us, we think of our relation with God like an investment. What we do is we invest the the stock and we simply want to watch it to grow without our effort unfortunately it does not operate like that with god you need to invest in god every day you need to bring a new supply to god every day and that is why god says you need to 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 fellowship you need to worship with me and connect with me on a regular basis so yes, you got to finish with God regularly, with regularity. It cannot be week to week. It cannot be month to month. It must be moment by moment, day by day. But also, it must be with resolve. Notice what the text says in verse 3 again. They set the altar in its place. I love that. They set the altar in its place. But notice, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Notice what's happening here. They set the altar in its place while they were afraid. They did not allow fear to stop them. Just like our Afghani brothers and sisters have not allowed fear to stop them. But with resolve, they've been climbing over walls to get into Harmad Kazai International Airport in hopes that they'll be lifted out of Afghanistan to another place of safety. Even though the Taliban are are, are, are heavy and and loaded with guns they are not afraid and that's what it means uh, to flesh with god that is you should never allow anything to stop you from going to the place where you can find god you see you must function with the fear with the faith stronger than your fear that that is what it means to have resolve It doesn't mean you're never afraid, but it means that I don't care what is in front of me, but no matter what, I'm going to get to God. Too many of us don't have enough resolve in our fellowship with God. Rather, what we do is that we allow fear, we allow problems, we allow situations to take us away from fellowship with God. We allow our emotions 
to dictate our devotion. We allow our feelings to control our faith. But I'm glad that even though these brothers were afraid, they will not allow their afraid, they will not allow their fear to get in their way of their faith. They have resolved. And you need to learn today to function in a similar fashion. That you will not allow your feelings to control your fellowship. But rather you allow your fellowship to control your feelings. When fear is on you. When stress is on you. When confusion is on you. When anger is on you. When annoyance is on you, when doubt is on you, that is when you need to fellowship. You need to make your mind up today that no matter what, nothing will keep me from fellowship with God. Even if people around me shake me up, I will not allow it to get in the way of my fellowship with God resolution like Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane he was boggled down he didn't want to go to the cross but he said you know what I will not allow my fear to get in the way of my fellowship I'm going to go to the father somebody today has been staying away from God because of your emotional state have been staying away from God because of how difficult it is have been staying away from God because of how, how hard it is but today I'm letting you know that how hard it is, is simply a, a reminder to you that you need God. It's simply a reminder to you that you need to approach God and allow him to impact your experience. Stop allowing your emotions to dictate how you get to God. You need to have resolve. You need to have resolve. And so when it comes to fellowship with God, it begins with regularity. But not only regularity. You also need resolve. The devil wants to get you down. He wants to keep you away from God because he knows. When you fellowship with God, you have power. So he wants to break your resolve. But never allow problems to break your resolve. But rather let problems strengthen your resolve. But once you have regularity and you have developed resolve, uh, you need to fellowship with God with roast. I'm not talking about I am Bakar here. I'm not talking about dugging, uh, dugging sapi here. I'm not talking about meat, but I'm talking about what is happening in this particular text when it comes to 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 fellowship with God. You you need to be willing to roast, to roast. You need to fellowship with God with roast, because notice. Five times in the text, in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6, the idea of a burnt offering is presented. Now, the idea of burning an animal, that's what it means to, in their mind, it was, it was how they, they connected with God. They would roast the animal. They would roast it all the way down. They, they would burn it down. So they brought something to roast. They brought a burnt offering, something to roast. And when they roasted it, they were saying, Lord, we are completely dedicating ourselves 
to you. We're giving everything of ourselves to you. We want to burn it all up. And so your fellowship with God functions best within the context of complete dedication. If you're not willing to give God everything, God is not willing to accept your fellowship. Coming to the altar means coming to burn it all up. And some of us need to start burning it all up. We need to stop roasting it all up. Comedians talk about roasting others. And when you, when you watch great comedians, they'll roast the government. They'll roast famous people. You know, that is you, you joke on somebody at their expense. But today I'm asking us to be comedians of ourselves when it comes to God. To come and roast up things about ourselves. And Lord knows that some of us, we need to roast up things. Some of us, we are too proud. Some of us, we are, uh, we are too power hungry. Some of us, we are prestige driven. driven. Some of us, we are poor, poor, uh, popularity uh, 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 hungry. Uh, we want these things. But when it comes to God, it's about burning them up, letting them go. What is it that you need to roast up today? What is it that you need to roast up that you know has to burn up? God wants us to be purified. God wants us to be clean. And that is what happens when you go before God. He roasts things up in you. He burns things up in you. And some of us don't like going to God's presence because we know we got to deal with it. We know God is going to be pointing out that that relationship is not happening anymore. God is going to be pointing out our promiscuity. God is going to be pointing out our unfaithfulness. God is going to be pointing out our greed. When we go before God, God talks to us about it. And he says, you know what? This got to be burnt up. And so some of us avoid God's presence because we know he's a consuming fire. But when you know your state and when you know that God is trying to refine a diamond out of you, God is trying to bring gold out of you, then you are willing to go before God's presence and you're willing to say, you know what, Lord, I'm here to burn this up. I'm here to throw it in the fire. What are things you need to roast today? What are things you need to burn up that you know have been alive for too long? When you roast something, it means you want it dead. And today things can die. God can make things die today. If you're willing to roast them up. Notice that they offered a burnt offering. They offered it to God. See, God will not roast it. God will not burn it. God will not purify it until you are willing to roast it. Sorry, and, and, and until you're willing to offer it. Say, Lord, this one, please burn it up. Mm -hmm. Lord, I offer you my pride as a burnt offering. Please. Lord, I offer you my prestige as a burnt offering. Please. Lord, I offer you my praise and cravings of popularity. Please burn it up. Burn it it up roasted because God wants to purify you 
He wants to make you like Jesus. So we need to come to the altar, to the place of fellowship with regularity. We need to come with resolve. We need to come with roast. But not only roast, we need to come with rubble. Notice verse 6 says, But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Which means, which means that they were in a place of rubble. The place has been destroyed. The place had been destroyed. It was a place of rubble. But they built their altar in a place of rubble. They fellowship with God in spite of rubble. Things were ruined. Things were destroyed, but they still fellowship with God. They still went to the altar. They wouldn't allow rubble to keep them from fellowship. So don't use rubble in your life as an excuse from God. And some of us, we say things like this. I will start praying again when I fix my anger issues. Some of us say, you know what? I will start giving back to God once I get my, my, my health in order. Uh, some of us talk about, okay, I will pray again when I have organized and fixed up my life. When things are straightened out. But God doesn't want you to straighten things out. He wants you to come to him with your rubble. He wants you to come to him with things that are broken, with things that are destroyed. Because your rubble is the very reason you need to worship God. Your rubble is an indication that you and God hasn't been in the right place. And sometimes God will rubble things up in your life to reveal himself to you, to help you to see that you need him. That you cannot live your life without him. That even though things are in tatters, even though things are destroyed, yet God is saying, bring those with me. Come to my presence in how, with how things are. Do not allow your rubble to keep you from rambling with me. Do not allow your rubble to make you tumble down uh, the downward spiral of, of sin and, and habits, and wrong perspective, and, and wrong motives, but rather allow your rubble to help you to fumble your way to me, to help you tumble your way to me, to help you wobble your way to me. Allow your rubble to bring you to me. Do not let it keep you from me. So just because it's destroyed, just because it's ruined, do not let it keep you from fellowship with God, but let, let that be an impetus to God. Let it be the very reason that you come to God. So yes, in your rubble, in your state of a brokenness, in your state of ruin, come to God. He's a present help in a time of need. He's a present help in a time of need. He will sort you out. He will fix you up. He will put you right. He will bandage you. He will take care of you. 
Today is the day to rebuild your altar. To rebuild it with regularity. To rebuild it with resolve. To rebuild it with roast. To rebuild it with rubble. Today is the day to rebuild your altar. God is interested in you. God is interested in connecting with you. God wants you. God loves you. God wants to be in the same space with you. You need an altar. You need a place to go. Because without an altar, anything else you build will be ruined. But when you have an altar in place, you put God at the right position. You put him at the right you, you, you give God the right priority in your life. And God functions as a reality in your existence. That is what God wants to do for you today. He wants to help you. The question is, are you willing to rebuild your altar? Has work broken your altar? Has disease broken your altar? Has disappointment broken your altar? Today, you can rebuild your altar. You can simply say, regularly, I'm going to come to God. You can simply say, with resolve, I'm going to come to God. With roast, I'm going to come to God. Even in my rubble, I'm going to come to God. That's what I want to do in my life. How about you? Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in spite of rubble, in spite of ruin, you want us to build our altar. Please, Lord, teach us how to do that. Give us the grace and the strength we need. Direct us and lead us forward. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your care. I humbly ask and I pray all of these things in the awesome, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, my brother and my sister. May he take care of you. May he look out for you. And I'm going to see you very, very soon. Remember, God wants you to rebuild your altar. God bless. Mm -hmm.